this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Unsympathetic intellects slowly and surely drew their plans against us. It is Foreign Invader with Conrado Falco III. Welcome to Foreign Invader. My name is Conrado Falco III, and this is the podcast about the pop culture that is corrupting American life. Every episode, we take a piece of culture that originated in not the United States of America and talk about its impact on our country and our lives. I want to start this episode by thanking everyone for listening and asking that if you like the show, please take a moment to go on Apple Podcasts and give us a good review and a rating. It helps us find more listeners. And actually, you know what helps us even more is if you recommend the podcast to people that you know. So um, why don't you do that? I would really appreciate it. Now, there are only a few certainties in life. Death, taxes, and the fact that a Hong Sang-soo movie will be shown at the New York Film Festival every single year. Hong is one of the most prolific filmmakers working today. He makes at least one movie every year, sometimes two or three. His movies are usually small, independent films about relationships, the path not taken, and people getting drunk. It would be hard to call him one of the most popular directors around, but over the years he has definitely amassed a pretty sizable cult following. That's the reason his movies show every year at New York Film Festival. They always sell out. I've been pretty ambivalent about Hong as a director, but I've also always been fascinated with the fandom that has grown around him. In order to dig deeper into this work, I've brought a very special guest. You might remember her from her appearance on my other podcast, The Criterion Project, where we she talked about the ramen epic Tampopo. That was a great pairing, since she is the author of a Substack newsletter called Movie Pudding, in which she writes about movies, food, and the intersection between movies and food. Given the amount of soju drunk by the characters in Hong Sang Su's movies, I thought she was a perfect fit for this. I am talking, of course, about the wonderful Alyssa Su. Thank you so much for being on the show, Alyssa. Thanks so much for inviting me. Good to speak to you again, Conrado. I'm very excited to have you here. Before we get into Hong, I'm going to ask you the couple of questions that I ask everyone who comes on the show. The first one is, uh, where are you from and where did you grow up? So I was born in Jersey, but shortly after, my parents, um, who are from South Korea, they moved to upstate New York. And so that's pretty much where where I grew up. Upstate New York. I'm excited about this because across the episode, we have kind of amassed a bunch of guests from different parts of New York. Mm-hmm. I don't think we've had upstate New York yet. So I'm excited for you to tell me what are some of these cliches about upstate New York that you would rather... you would like to either confirm mm-hmm. or deny it's funny because i guess the first thing is some people um would debate whether like upstate new york is even a term or what that would like encompass um and i think most of the stereotypes that people are making about it like are people from manhattan or like the city proper which is basically you know people say it's just like it's just nothing like people <laughs> are just country bums in a way or or they think of the cat skills mm-hmm. they just you know they think of like jewish comedians like wooden houses yeah or yeah just like no- nothing around these days i feel like when people think of upstate they actually think of like hipsters and like people who have left the city to mm. like raise their children and like a different kind of uh, a different kind of stereotype but i would say yeah just growing up it was probably the stereotype that these are country folk up here compared to the people in New York City or in Westchester, which is the affluent suburb right above uh, New York City. Right. How far up north were you or or west or I don't know, what part of upstate New York were you in? Yeah, so that's a that's a good question. Um, I grew up around around Poughkeepsie Beacon in the mid. So in like, I guess it's technically called the mid Hudson Valley area. It's kind of like right in the middle. So it's not too far. It's like 90 minutes yeah the metro north train goes up there it's like like the last second to last stop third to last stop so it's 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 not too far but i mean again it's not um it's not the city so it's also not super rural right it's like it's like pretty much <laughs> a city isn't it yeah i think i don't know like statistically like 
like census bureau wise, if it's like considered a city, like a metropolitan area, I mean, I guess there's a city of Poughkeepsie and Beacon is a city, but like, no one I knew like grew up in the actual city part. We lived in like the small town, but yeah, it's like a suburb. Like there's a target, like there's a mall, there's a movie theater. It's, it's not that rural. And even though they're like, there are farms, um, they're like, mm-hmm. I don't know. They're like interlaced and inter- like with, with like shopping centers and all that. Right. And so the next question is, what was the most American thing about your childhood? Did you have like a pretty, you know, standard, cliched American upbringing? I would say it was pretty American. Um, my my mother, she immigrated to the States when she was pretty young, when she was like 13 or 14. Mm. And she grew up in Queens. So like in that sense, like she's pretty American and she spoke to it like, my parents spoke to us in English, so we mm. didn't really speak Korean or anything, um, or that well, I should say. <laughs> um, but I mean, obviously, there are like aspects of my Korean culture that, like, I still that you know that I grew up with mm-hmm. um, and that are still with me. Uh, as far as your question, the most American thing, I guess, to bring it back to food, we. We ate pretty much like an American family, I'd say. Like to the point where like if my dinner was not like a meat, a starch and a vegetable, I would be like, like, what is like, what is this? Because the way (laughs) Korean food, when you eat it, it's usually like you have rice and all these other little things. Right. And so like I was just my siblings and I were just so used to like, you know, like this set order and like setup of how like what a proper meal should consist of. That's my favorite kind of meal, by the way. Just whenever whenever I see a table with a bunch of little different bowls on it, I'm like, oh, yes, perfect. Just give me a bread, give me a rice, give me a base, and I will put all of this stuff in it. Yeah, it's a lot more interesting if you think about it than like your set, like three course or even like three part meal. Yeah, but also it's much, for me, it's much more work to make. So I I rarely get to like, you know, to have that kind of meal. So I always pressure it. Same. I'm curious about those like Korean elements that you, that were there in your childhood that you, that you mentioned before that stuck with you. I was trying to remember, like, like think about that. And then I was like, wow, this is really just like thinking about my identity, (laughs) my childhood. Um, And like, I don't know. It's like something like I like can't think of off the top of my head, but I guess I just mean that I, I still identify with my Korean culture. Of course, it's not like even though I do feel like pretty American, a lot of things are American. It's still like very much Korean. Like my parents weren't like you know trying to excise the their Korean past or like try to assimilate or anything. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, it's just kind of like a this general identity, this general <laughs> feeling. Maybe some of the details will come out in our discussion. Who knows? Yes, they might. <laughs> All right. Before we get into Hong, I do want to give you uh, an opportunity to tell the, the people listening about movie pudding, which I think is such a great uh, sub stack. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Thank you. Um, so I write a newsletter. It's monthly. It's called Movie Pudding. You can find it on Substack. So it's moviepudding.substack.com. But I talk about the, or I try to talk about the connection between movies and food. Um, sometimes it's quite quite literal, um, but other times it's more, more thematic. Um, and I will write up eccentric pairings of movies and food um there will be recipes um if you're in new york you'll see kind of my outings at uh restaurants around here um so if you're local that'll probably be extra cool but if you're not there's still a lot of stuff for everyone yeah um there will be a link to the Substack in the show description and i just want to say i love every aspect of the Substack, but the recommendations of where to go to get food that's the part that I, that always makes me the most jealous because um, they're usually in Brooklyn and I live in Queens so that's not um, people who are not in New York might not know that that's a little bit annoying having to travel there but <laughs> I just got a bike so now I think I'm going to bike to all these places that Alyssa has mentioned so if you want to stalk me you should subscribe to this Substack and then try to find me it's one of those that's great to hear now you can go ever you can go everywhere now um I will keep that in mind and I will definitely recommend stuff from Queens because I 
I I really like Queens and Queens has a lot of great food. A lot of great food. I moved here last year and I am so happy with the food selection. Yes. Should we get into Hong then? Sure. So actually I first encountered Hong when we first met, which was at the New York Film Festival 2015 Critics. I can't believe it was that long ago. <laughs> it was called Critics Academy, right? Yes, I think so. It was this program for like, you know, young critics to come to the New York Film Festival and be able to, you know, um, what were we able to do? First of all, we got to see all the movies, which was cool. But also we had like this <laughs> kind of seminars with um, film critics and industry people. And then we were able to like pitch articles to uh, film comment and indie wires. So that was all cool, right? Yeah, that's a great question. What did we do? What was it for? <laughs> um, I feel like I don't remember when the program started, but I feel like it was like around like we were one of like the earlier kind of mm-hmm. like groups who who did it. Um, it's yeah, I guess it's supposed to kind of foster like new journalistic talent. Maybe, but I feel like there were a lot of people with different backgrounds that necessarily didn't want to go into criticism, but like just you know like it was an opportunity for them to learn more or like also see the movies, which is a big thing, seeing all the movies or as many of them, yeah, as we could that was really great. that's the main reason why I did it, and I had a great time, yeah, um it was a good year too, as far as movies, like that was Carol Carol was there Carol played that year, um, I liked uh, yeah, there was the lobster, I remember that, really liking that oh right there was yeah, uh, Ho Shao Shen's the assassin, I think was the that assassin. Year. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of movies, including Hong Sang-soo's Right Now, Wrong Then, which yes. was the first movie of his that I saw at the festival. And also, I th- that's where I learned that there was a lot of people who were fans of Hong, and he had like this mini cult following that I had been totally unaware of until that point. Um, but I think I remember you already knew about him and were following him. So my question is, like, how did you first encounter him? How do you get into Hong and his movies? I think, I know the first movie, Hong movie I saw, it was The Day He Arrives. Um, it's in black and white. It came out in 2011, so I must have seen it around that time. I watched it in the theater, and I found it because I was reading a review probably by Jay Hoberman in the village voice or mm. something like that. Um, and I was like, wow, like this is, this sounds like really cool. This is like a Korean director and this movie sounds different than the other Korean movies that I had seen up to that point, which were more of like the, the popular films, the tentpole kind of Korean movies that you hear about, like, like old boy. Right. You know, or like, uh teguki the historical historical action movie so i was like oh this is like a change of pace because when you think of when people think of korean movies at least like the people who kind of know a little bit about movies you think of like ultra violent um action movies you know that sort of thing yeah totally that's what i was going to tell you like for Mm -hmm. me up to that point i was like well korean movies that's like park chan wook and kim ki duk right like totally extreme violence and like Mm -hmm. really dark subject matter yeah and this guy hong is just like about chilling and drinking and talking right (laughs) yeah definitely so uh that's how i first um heard of him and i watched that movie in the theater i liked it and then little by little i watched some of his other ones um but they are hard to find because they didn't always have distribution, especially back then. So I think I had to like probably torrent them or like find them through some sort of zip file. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were blessed because, as you said, Hong Sang Soo, you can expect him to be there every year at the New York Film Festival. Right. It became a little bit of a thing where it was like that's the place where where Hong Sang Soo movies were going to play, and everyone who was into Hong Sang Soo was like. Well, well, by the time New York Film Festival comes around, that's when we go, you know, and we get to see our Hong. I'm curious to hear what you thought, then, because that was like your first um, time watching a Hong movie. And like, did you know what to expect? Did you just kind of go into it blind? I mean, I guess even reading a description of it, it wouldn't really 
give you that much to go off of. Right. So since we were in the Critics Academy, I was just trying to go to as many screenings as I could. So a lot of the time I was just going in. And I think right before going in, like some of the, uh, I guess... I don't know what the call. I was going to say students, but we weren't students. But you know what I mean. Some of the people in, in, yeah, yeah. in the academy, the participants, the participants, yeah, <laughs> they're hanging out and they were talking about like how they kind of like enjoy watching home movies and just like hanging out and they're chill and whatever. And I was like, oh, I got to, I perked up because I was like, there's been so many, you know, like tough sits at the festival uh, up to that point. So I really enjoyed it. I was like, this is fun. This is like, you know. It's basically the story of this. I think he plays a movie director, right? And he is on a on a on a trip, and then meets this girl, and they go on a date, or like they hang out for a while, and then you see the whole thing play again, and it plays out in a in a slightly different way. And I thought that was yes. fun. That was like a fun structural thing, and I had a good time. The movie I remember it being quite funny. I. Th- remember also thinking that I couldn't stand the guy a little bit. Like, I was um, a little bit like, who's this guy? And why does he have this face that I want to punch? And why is he, like, (laughs) acting in this way? But I was really into the female character who... I think it was Kim Min-hee, right? I think that's one of her first works with Hong? Yeah, that is Kim Min-hee in that one. Yeah. Um, I don't remember if it's her first one. That sounds right. Because the, the one before that was Hill of Freedom. So yeah, I think you're right. And that's, that's his first one, her first one. I thought she was great. And, you know, for people listening who might not know, she, uh, you might have seen her in The Handmaiden, which came out shortly after. And I was, you know, I recognized her. And I was like, oh, yeah, she was so good in the Hong movie. And now she's so great in this. And I, I feel like I remember you telling me that, like, you thought the the main character was despicable. Do you think it was, like, was it his character or, like, the actor or, like, a combination of both like his looks kind of like amplifying and embodying that character i to be honest i i don't know if i can say because i have forgotten a lot about the movie i haven't seen it since back then um but my feeling is that this is not the you know the most appropriate criticism (laughs) might be a little shallow but i feel like his looks had a lot to do with it i know why i thought that he was just an irritating looking person (laughs) which makes me feel bad about it (laughs) i think that's like totally fine and i mean i guess not too superficial because when you're dealing with like movies and actors you know it's all visual so Mm. you have some say i mean you're not like criticizing Carrie Mulligan. <laughs> like, but, I would never. Like, <laughs> um, um, I will say that, like, I think that's good that that's the impression that you got, because I feel like that is a big kind of central part of Hong's movies, where he has this main character, a male character, usually a filmmaker or, you know, like a, someone of an artistic background uh-huh. or artistic inclination, and they suck. Like he's like they're like they're jerks um, to put it mildly. They really do, right? Um, I watched a couple movies that you recommended for me um, for to prepare for this podcast. One of them was called uh, "Woman Is the Future of Man," and that was two guys, one of which uh, two old friends who reconnect, but they're you know pretty young guys. I would say like probably in their thirties or something. And one of them is a filmmaker, and the other is a teacher, and they had both been with a woman who they get together, they start drinking, they start reminiscing and then decide, let's go find this woman and see what she's up to kind of. And um, I could really sense a lot of truth in the way that they behaved and the way they related and how they were like friends, but also competing kind of for the Mm -hmm. attention of the same woman and how that made them feel at the same time. Like, this was a lot in terms of, like, oh, these guys are also, like, really not taking this woman into account <laughs> and, like, her her perspective at almost at all, which I guess it's part of the point. I think so. Uh, I they're def- They definitely don't treat her very well. And, I mean, at the end, and this isn't really a spoiler because Hong's movies aren't really spoilery, but pretty much she's, like ditched at the end right Mm -hmm. like they both kind of like forget about her again but isn't there a point where in that movie where she has them both over her apartment yeah she does yeah which i thought was like and i don't think they're quite aware right 
I couldn't tell, but at least the way, like, you know, one's in the living room, one's in the bedroom. Like, so Mm -hmm. these two guys, these old friends, and they enter and exit at different times where they may not have been aware of what happened between the girl and, like, their friend. Yeah, it's a little bit ambiguous, like, what happened and and who knows what. Um, And I guess there is a lot of ambiguity, I at least in the ones that I've seen in, in Hong's movies, a lot of ellipses and a lot of like what happened in, in mm-hmm. between the scenes that we might not know. Um, something that I thought was quite funny and that made me feel like I was in self-aware hands in this movie was early on when they're at a restaurant and they both independently hit on the waitress um, <laughs> when the other one's in the bathroom or not around. One of them, since one is a filmmaker, one of them asks he asks her um do you want to be in my next movie mm-hmm. and then when he goes away the other one who is an art teacher asks her hey do you want to pose for one of my <laughs> pictures you would have to pose nude by the way and this kind of this thing that let me know oh i kind of see what he's he's doing here yeah that's really true and i think that's something that hong's good at at like letting the audience know like letting them in on the joke that you know this is in some senses like commentary it's not you know so when you see this character who is awful it's not supposed to be someone you empathize with and someone who is a good guy he's definitely poking fun at them mm-hmm. too i'm curious to to hear what you think about all of this since these are a lot of the movies that i've seen of him like you said tend to mean about these you know kind of uh you know lame dudes for the lack of a better word like these guys who keep doing all this like very annoying stuff i mean i think there's for whatever reason that is kind of his his character and his obsession his cinematic obsession Mm -hmm. um i think there's like some viewers and critics who might you know wonder how much he is like that and how much he is kind of purging his own sins so to speak um which I don't really know about. I have no idea what Hong is like as a person or what his um, inner turmoil is other than, you know, like trying to be a great director, which he could probably say he's done at this point. Um, I will say, though, that, um, as I mentioned before, that a lot of the sort of these awful male characters, they are somewhat indicative of or commentary on, like, the way like gender relations are in Korea, which I don't know if everyone is really aware of, but hmm. there's a lot of like oppression of women and, and just a lot of misogyny. Let's say is rooted in a lot of misogyny. Um, and you can read, you you'll read about that in the news and things like that. So this kind of like is in its own way, like not political, but it's, he's definitely remarking on the way things are the way like as most films should yeah um one really part funny part of that movie i just remembered is that like they're just both so oblivious like they, they're very cruel but then like you like have you remember like they're just so dumb and oblivious they like, they're <laughs> children in a way like there's a scene i think where one of them is like says to the to the woman like Oh, like you shave your legs or something or like I didn't know I didn't know that women shave their <laughs> legs yeah yeah and I feel like that's also another recurring thing is that these guys um what makes the movie so uh kind of chill and watchable I think is the fact that these guys are not like presented as horrible villains but more in like kind of like mundane kind of everyday mm-hmm. annoyance and like you said misogyny right so I think with that in mind uh, I'm really interested in what you just said about like when you say that, that there's a lot of misogyny and, and that the people talk about it in the newspapers are you saying that it's an issue that people are aware of and they want to talk about or is it more like this misogyny presents itself in very casual ways in, in Nova society? I would say both. I mean I think there are I, gosh I can't think of current events now but you know just like for women's equality and better treatment like mm-hmm. those sorts of things that um like at the kind of more surface level that people can see like oh like this needs to be changed this needs to be repaired um like in society but you're right on like i definitely also mean in like the more nuanced sort of casual everyday way 
Um, and that's just kind of probably rooted in like greater centuries of Korean culture and not just Korean culture. I'm sure like there are many other like um, other countries and societies and nations that are like that, mm-hmm. but it's, it's definitely a thing in, in Korea, which I'm not sure, or I wonder how much American viewers um, are aware of that. So like when you see this character, this director, who's kind of a douchebag, excuse my language, or it's not just he's like pretentious and insecure. Like there's this kind of underlying thing of like, oh, like this is also maybe how guys are like there and what is in Korea and what is Hong saying or commenting about that. Mm. That's interesting to consider in another of the movies that I watched, which is Hill of Freedom, in which Mm -hmm. the main character is the Japanese guy who comes to Korea looking for a ex-lover again, kind of another recurring theme. Um, And he is this very lanky guy, very skinny, and he has all these oversized clothes and he just like hangs around and, and he talks to all these Korean people and, and they all speak in English and I actually really like that part of it the fact that they were speaking in a, in a third language in between them and, mm-hmm. and they had it almost made them have to be very simple in the way that they spoke and the way they said things which um, seemed to me like a very interesting and very fun uh, conceit to make the movie to kind of like make the movie unfussy you know like to get to the to the um to the meat of the essence. I don't know. That didn't make any sense. The meat of the essence. I don't know what that means. No, like he's definitely pairing things back, like just to the bare elements in a way. Um, and it's, it's funny because I don't speak Korean that well, but like in Hong's movies, they speak in such simple language to begin with. Um, mm-hmm. And whenever I watch it, I like, sometimes I don't even need the subtitles because they're saying just very simple things. And the subtitles reflect that. Like, it's always just, Oh, like, do you want a drink? Or like, she's really pretty. Just (laughs) name one or like, she's really pretty or, you know, like it's, it's very straightforward, but he does a lot with like, look at with a modicum of words. Um, I feel like that's kind of the appeal of him for the people who really love his filmmaking, right? The, fact the movies to me so far have always seemed very simple um very like you said pared down straightforward a little bit playful especially in the structure he likes to do the thing where like you know have different uh, conceits like you know like we said right now wrong then kind of as the same movie plays twice uh, and there's variations and then in the hill of freedom it's uh out of order because it's a woman mm-hmm. reading these letters so different scenes happen out of chronological order but other than that they are very simple stories of people like meeting up uh striking new relationships or breaking up and then you know that's kind of it right like how would you this what what to put you on the spot like why why do you like hong's movies like what do you see in them I guess all of what you said, I mean, I think they are all what you said and, and that is why I like them. Um, <laughs> I, I really like the, the things that he does structurally. And I think we say his movies are kind of simple and playful, but at the same time, that's kind of a deception because there's a lot more working beneath the surface, whether it's kind of like the cultural implications or, even just like the little ambiguities where we don't know what's what and what really happened maybe or in between that span of s- that small like window of time. Um, I, I, yeah, I think it's just, his films are very unique and I, I don't know that there is another filmmaker who's kind of doing the same thing as him, even though he's kind of mining that same sort of plot or garden, same material over and over again in different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess now hearing you put it in that way, it kind of answers the question that I've always had, which is, you know, which is kind of that. Why do people love his movies so much? Because they seem a lot of the time to me, right, they can seem so simple and so like <laughs> uh, superficial for lack of a better word, word, right? Like they don't, 
they feel very matter of fact and very relaxed. So they don't feel like I'm important. I'm an important movie. Right. I'm an important director. But what you're saying, all of that feels like fodder for cinephiles, right? For like, because, you know, people who are into movies and obsessed about movies love ambiguity so that they can like fill in, fill in the blanks and they love seeing you know the auteur theory and seeing that yeah. these themes repeat themselves and these characters mm -hmm. repeat themselves right yeah that's totally true and i'm guilty at least of like i i of being into film directors who have their own sense of voice and auteurs so to speak um i will say another thing which when you were describing hong's movies in the beginning like you said they usually deal with relationships and like someone trying to find a past lover and i think like at like the base human level like i guess that's probably really appealing to mm. people like as a as a subject as like a movie like the plot of a movie um i wouldn't like call myself like a romantic comedy fan but i i love movies about relationships and like unrequited love or you know trying to find your lost love that's always appealing i think to people on a human level right it's very easy to connect yeah. with because most people have experienced some version of you know being in a relationship or losing a relationship maybe we can conclude that all the cinephiles are also just heartbroken over their lost love that they can't <laughs> find <laughs> okay so since we're on the topic um how do you feel about the the fandom that has uh been you know, that has built around Hong and his movies. And um, do you look at it as surprising as, as I did, as I do? Or, you know, I've always looked at yeah. it being like, I don't know if I fully understand this. I'm curious for you how it is. I'm the same. Um, I mean, in one sense, like, I don't know how popular Hong is in Korea, with cinephiles, at least. With the general public, he's not popular at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, neither is he here, but like, obviously, like, he wouldn't be because he's a foreign film director. But um, I don't know if you know that, like, because so he left his wife to be with Kim Min Hee, and that was a big scandal. And he, like, to the point where, like, I think it, like, as I, I don't know that she has a career there anymore. Oh, um, wow, really? Yeah, which is, like, disappointing because she had just done The Handmaiden and everything around around this time um so like he's basically kind of been exiled by at least popular korean cinema uh industry not that he was there to begin with but even more so now like he was just kind of like a persona non grata wow. um so like he doesn't have this is all to say like So he's not very popular over there. I don't know how Korean how much Korean cinephiles like him. Maybe they hate him because they're just like, everyone just talks about Hong Sang-soo and there's so many other like indie artsy Korean directors that we don't know about. Right, because he's like the one, I mean, he's in yeah. every film festival internationally. I assume if his mm -hmm. movies are not successful in Korea, why does he keep making them? Probably because they get programmed at every single festival. <laughs> and, and New York <laughs> Film Festival loves him and the Cahiers du Cinema loves it. Mm -hmm. So... He gets a chance to travel. I don't know. He can at least go to France and New York, but nice because of his films. Um, I so I don't know why he has developed such a cult following, like you said. Um, other than that, like for the reasons we talked about, that you know his films are very interesting and unique, and in and of themselves as films, they're they're really interesting um, mm -hmm. to watch and worthy of being watched but um i don't it boggles yeah it boggles my mind too at the same time i feel like it's um i'm not surprised that you tell me even though this is a, isn't 100% confirmed that he's not so popular in korea because <laughs> i i think of his movies and i'm like well i don't know if a general audience is going to like like this kind of thing you know it this feels like very much like a, a cinephile kind of thing yeah One other thing I'll add is that um, I don't know if I said this before, but there's a part of me that feels a little possessive over like his success or I guess um, kind of like to compare it to food like kimchi that was not very popular. People, Americans would probably not think of eating that. And now it's like a big thing and you see it everywhere in, the, in like fancy restaurants and hip restaurants mm. and you're like hey like that's that's like 
my food, like the, my food, my culture. Um, and I guess in the same sense with Hong, I'm like, oh, like these people like this Korean thing and they're obsessed over it. And I'm like, I, I guess I find it surprising, but also glad that they're embracing like Korean films in that way and, hmm. and another aspect of Korean culture. Is it particularly hung for you or or because a lot of Korean culture has become really big lately, you know, like Parasite and there is BTS, the K-pop and, you know, we had Minari, which I guess it's a mm-hmm. American movie, but, you know. That's a good point. Yeah, I guess I should clarify that it is kind of specific to like Korean culture and pop culture was definitely being um, accepted and welcomed by American audiences like what like k-dramas k-pop but i guess hong sang Su is the first kind of like highbrow sort of i don't know like highbrow artifact that people of a certain subset like you know who are very into artsy films or like in like who are intellectuals like have would like like they may not like those other aspects of korean like have other aspects of korean um culture the imports but this this foreign invader (laughs) this one they like yeah thank you for for bringing in the theme of the show in in that way i really (laughs) appreciate it um right so is it also maybe a little bit that he's like it they're on your turf now you know like as as a person who likes movies and likes you know international independent festival type movies all of a sudden it's kind of like whoa whoa whoa, wait a second like now all of you like this guy yeah i guess it's always there's always that there's always a sense of i liked him first or like you know mm-hmm. um so that's just personal i i don't know how much credence that has <laughs> but <laughs> so the third movie that i watched i think it's was interesting because it's a movie that Hong made after the whole Kim Min Hee mm-hmm. scandal. And um, I did not know, but I'm not surprised actually to hear you say that she, her, her career has suffered since. Um, because looking at, you know, IMDb or Letterboxd, I could see that ever since he got, she got together with Hong, she's only been in Hong movies, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and I always thought like, oh, that's interesting. Um, can you say all of this? Is Hong like the Korean Woody Allen or something like that? <laughs> Hopefully, it won't be. It won't end in that way, and there's nothing yeah. that bad going on. But it feels like here's this guy who makes these like somewhat, um, you know, small independent movies, very autobiographical in some ways, and then he has this woman who's his wife and who's in all his movies. Or I don't know if it's his wife, probably just his partner. Um. And, and and there's a scandal around him, you know, and he's been shunned. I don't know. Yeah, if in that sense, um, I feel like his he's been ostracized even more so than Woody Allen because I feel like people still like Woody Allen here. Maybe not like maybe since the um, HBO documentary came out. I don't know if you watched that about like Dylan oh, Farrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like maybe like. I feel like people watch that and they kind of change their minds if they didn't feel one way before. Yeah. But uh, prior to that documentary, I would say that people were still like into him. No. Even, you know, like up until very recently, like they were totally, they didn't. Yeah. They like divorced. Um, husband. And there were decades where people were mm-hmm. into Woody Allen, but they knew that there was all this stuff around him and, and he still was celebrated as a director and a celebrity, etc. Yeah, exactly. So I feel like um, Hong fell from grace a lot more swiftly than Woody <laughs> Allen did and his because thanks to his PR machine and all of that mm-hmm. his power and influence I'm curious to think uh, or to, to know what you think about um, The Day After which is the other movie that you saw um, and like you said it's comes after the whole kind of uh, media scandal Mm -hmm. Um, that one and also on the beach at night alone which is definitely a different turn from his other movies it's like it's definitely more in the realm of drama less comedy less laughs um and if you sort of noted a difference or in his tone or sensibility yeah so the day after is interesting because it seemed to me like it was 
you know, like the title suggests, like it seemed very much like he was trying to address something of what had happened in his personal life. Because it's this story about a, he's not a director, he's like a publisher, I think. Mm -hmm. And he has an assistant who he's been having an affair with and his wife has found out and he's ended the relationship with the assistant, but he needs a new assistant who is played by Kim <laughs> Nee. And there's this whole thing of like, number one, the wife thinks that the new assistant is the, the old assistant and that they're having an affair. And there is also this thing looming of, is he or is he not continuing the, the affair with the old assistant? Does he or does he not want to have also an affair with the new assistant, I felt? So is this mm-hmm. is this whole thing of infidelity, right? And and marriage and, and new relationships. And with this younger woman who's coming in as the new assistant. Um, I don't know. There was a lot to unpack there. Uh, I have to say, I like the other movies better. I think maybe because mm-hmm. I could relate to them a little bit more. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like I have been in situations more similar to those of like young people, you know, trying to start relationships. Whereas this, it's more like an older man. It was it 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 felt a little bit from the perspective of the Kim and He character a little bit more though. I feel like that's where the sympathies are. Yeah, I agree with you that um, kind of right ever since right now wrong then where I guess like the, the first collaboration, he kind of has shifted like the perspective from being so like from the centered on the male protagonist to more the female protagonist like having a female protagonist from her point of view and which usually happens to be these days Kim Min Hee mm-hmm. um, on the beach at night alone that's how I felt your feelings about the day after that's how I felt about that movie which was also kind of about the aftermath um, and there wasn't much to relate to which not that I always need something to relate to but it just seemed very personal mm. and like very much grappling with what had happened um, in a way that I can see how it might have been a nice kind of um artistic kind of way to let everything out mm. but and it's at some point cinematically interesting but i i did not engage with that one as well or as much as other films like you're saying oh yeah like what do you think it has been the shift that that has happened in his cinema is it just that the the theme and focusing on this particular moment of his life or is there something else I don't know. I think he's in love and that's why now his movies have taken on this different kind of tenor and he's getting older. Mm, <laughs> Maybe mm-hmm. he has less sort of bitterness in him or something. Uh, his earlier movies, I would say his like very early works um, or even like the woman is the future of man. They're a bit more like there's like this acrid note. Like there's the, the men are and the characters are definitely shittier to each other than they are like later on down like the films than Hong's over or over however you say that um <laughs> right but yeah it's he's his films have become more tender yeah why that is i'm not sure but i feel like that's something that's that's happened i try to i've tried to like kind of group his um films into different buckets mm-hmm. but once in a while he just like throws in something like claire's camera or like yourself and yours and you're just like oh like this isn't like like any of the other ones before oh really yeah that sounds like fun what mode do you prefer like what what do you like i think i like the mode where he's it's like shortly after the one that you watched uh women is the future of man Mm -hmm. so i think for that one it's not as tightly scripted not the right choice of words but i think he doesn't have as much of a handle on the kind of playing with structure. Um, just because I think in the women of the future of man, although like you said, like, you know, there are hints early on that, you know, he's giving you a wink. Mm-hmm. I feel like he has perfected that more like a bit later on. And he still maintains that kind of still like playful tone that you like there. So I like the kind of ones like in the middle of his current filmography. I think there's also a bunch playing on movie, like in addition, like along with alongside that one. Oh, cool. Which mode do you which mode do you prefer? I guess 
you've only seen a few, but you have seen him working like in different modes. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. I guess I guess I like the earlier stuff uh, better. Mm -hmm. To put it in perspective, the the woman is the future of man that came out in two thousand and four. Um, Hill of okay. Freedom came out in 2014 and the day after in 2017. So that's kind of the arc. The Kim and He stuff happened around that time, around 2016, I think, right? Yeah. So the Hill of Freedom is interesting because even though you've only seen like a few a few films again, it's it's much cheerier. It ends on like an almost uplifting note compared to the other ones. I don't know if you noticed that. It's it's like a happy it's a happy ending. Is it though? Because I have a question. Since <laughs> you're okay with spoiling it, I thought it was a very happy yeah. ending. But then there's another scene in which the protagonist has been sleeping and he wakes up, and then the 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 other woman is leaving because they had just had sex. And I didn't know if that was. A flashback or, or was he having a dream and was the, the happy ending fake so it left me a little bit perturbed at the end because I, I saw this happy ending and then it was like oh maybe it isn't and then it left me in a very ambivalent note you're, you're right I'm kind of forgetting about that scene which like feels like it's just tacked on there and you're like oh wait I think it's meant to do exactly what what you said and elicit that feeling that like oh is is am I, am I okay? Am I happy going on the plane with like the women that I wanted to find and having children? But am I only doing that because this woman like left me or whatever? Yeah. So it's yeah. I think you're you're right. I am viewing it as if it's not the happiest quote unquote ending. It's then it that would actually make it kind of among the most pessimistic or cynical endings in a way <laughs> where. He thinks you think he's get, he thinks he's getting a happy ending, or you know he's perturbed by the past. Still. It is probably the movie that I like the most of the ones that I watched. It it also, <laughs> like you said, I found it very warm in a lot of places. But there's also a lot of kind of um, a little bit perturbing stuff, or like you know, like that ending that nothing is like quite just one vibe. There's always like something else. <laughs> there's also a, a moment in which a a Korean man who the protagonist who's Japanese meets at this kind of like Airbnb type of place. Um, he's talking to a younger woman who doesn't want to talk to him. And he, and she really yells at him because he insists and insists and says, don't talk to me. And she leaves. And then she starts crying, like really crying very, mm -hmm. very emotionally. And the guy, he keeps going like, it's her fault. She, you know, and this character ends up being just like the buddy for the rest of the movie. So it's so it's like this contradiction, right? He's like this guy who's like fun and we drink with him and we have we eat food and it's in a good time. But also he had this weird moment that was very disturbing, you know? Yeah, that stands out as one of the kind of more overt sort of like um, actions against women. Like he they're like really yelling at each other. And I think like after she starts crying and like the main character, the Japanese character comes and is like, what's wrong? And the Korean man is like, she's a bitch. And like, he keeps saying it. Yeah. And then after he calms down, I love the conclusion that he comes down to is like, or like, Oh, she must be like unwell. Yeah. She must have like, a problem. Says, I'm sorry. Yeah. And he's like, he must have a problem. He's like, it's either a cancer problem or like a man problem. Oh my God. Yeah. And then he's like, it's probably a man problem. Yeah, you're right. It's probably a man problem. Oh my God. Definitely the thing that I appreciate the most of him as a director is, is kind of that precision at getting at these kind of like very casual ways in which these men suck. <laughs> exactly. Which not to like reveal my cards, but like a lot of them made me feel very embarrassed of thinking like, <laughs> oh, have I done this? Like, have I been like this? Like, you know, which I think it's effective, but also at the same time brings a question, at least for me, of um, how much of this self-deprecation, um, and maybe this is the point of a cinema, I don't know, but I, I wonder like how much of, is this enough? You know, like how much of, how much work is actually being done by identifying this and, and self-deprecating about it and, you know, 
um, there's more work to be done for sure, I think. Yeah, I wonder the same thing, like what work is being done and also what are, you know, his intentions behind it or just even think of it at all. And how are other, I guess that's my, my main thing is how are other people kind of responding to that? What is that like? What is that reception, whether in Korea or the kind of um, super fans that we see here? Yeah, a lot of a lot of the writing that I've seen about him focuses a lot on the on the like the formal structure, structure of the movies. Yeah. Yes, the formal structure, the mise en scène mm-hmm. to use a very fancy word <laughs> and the you know his abilities as a filmmaker. And maybe it's the rare director that I haven't seen that much written about the the themes and the the actions of the characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder the same and I'm by no means like um, a historian, I don't know much about, you know, Korean, like what events sort of were happening in Korea at the time. So well, I'd be curious as to know what someone with more knowledge would say about his films relating it, I guess, to that kind of political and sociopolitical context. Yeah. I wonder that a lot about when I watch foreign films in general. I don't know if you do, but unless they're like, really great works of cinema like all the kind of mediocre ones like i i don't like really know part of me is like why why am i watching this? Like, I, I could watch a mediocre american movie at least like <laughs> I, I could just feel kind of lost or i don't know what like the con- political context or you know just of things might be mm, you feel like you you might be missing something yeah um that you're not getting mm-hmm. yeah totally that that's definitely something that I felt in the past. I've also felt sometimes that you watch something that you're enjoying a lot, but you're like, oh, I don't know about this. Like, you know, <laughs> uh, this seems cool to me, but I don't know if in the context of the country, it has different meanings that are yeah. maybe like more, um, I don't know. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Conservative or like reactionary than, than, uh, than it seems to me. It's true. Anyway, I think that was a pretty good conversation about Hong. Is there anything else you would like to say about him before we close? Um, I don't. I'm curious, like, if you will go and see the next movie that he makes. If and when he appears at the next New York Film Festival, will will you be there? (laughs) Well, he's got it, right? He wasn't the last one, and that was 2020, the, the, the last year. So he, I'm sure that Wait, is he working on something? I think he must be. I'm looking right now and it says he's working on something. I did see his most recent one from the New York Film Festival. Oh, yeah. Um, and that one is actually all focused on women. Oh. And it's super interesting. Um, it's very subtle, more so than his last ones, I would say. But um, it focuses. Kim Min, he's in it. Um, there's like three separate sections. And it's all about how men kind of intrude onto these women's spaces which they have done throughout like his movies before in little bits and pieces, but this one um, much more so. Yeah. And from a, from a female perspective, that's interesting as well. What What's the name of that one? It's called the woman who ran the woman who ran. And if I'm correct, I think that is getting a release this summer or sometime. Um, so people might be able to see it. Oh yeah. I think, I think you're right. So yeah, I think I will check it out, especially now that I, have this like picture of you know his whole career before i had seen lonely a couple movies here and there um and definitely an interesting figure um if anyone listening checks out any of his movies and has any thoughts please let me know or write to us and um i will be very curious to see what people think um anyway thanks Alyssa, for being on the show thank you do you want to do any plugging? Do you have any social medias or, you know, the Substack? of course, subscribe to that. But anything else that you'd like to say? Um, no, you guys can uh, subscribe, moviepudding.substack.com. Um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at oddbarnacles. And that's it. Fantastic. And that's our show. Thanks again to Alyssa for coming on to talk about Hong Sang-soo. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share the podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. Thanks again for listening. Coming up next week on this podcast feed, two episodes. 
for movie marriage, Sajid and I take a look at the women's soccer double feature, Begil and Bended Like Beckham. And in Foreign Invader, it's once again time for more anime, this time Dragon Ball. See you then, and stick around for a little more Alyssa Sue. Alyssa, what have you been watching lately? So I've been taking a break from movies and I've been watching uh, the Underground Railroad series on Amazon. It's Barry Jenkins' um, latest and he directed all 10 episodes, I believe. And that is something that nice. like, certainly is very weighty. Um, you probably know it's about uh, a literal Underground Railroad um, and a young slave named Cora who makes her escape. And so it's like, it's a, it's a lot to watch, especially in a short period of time. And it's based on a very popular book. I've seen the book around a lot, but I actually know very little about about it. Um, it's, um, it's historical, right? It's not like a science fiction thing. It's more like a historical fiction thing. Funny you should ask because, so it is historical fiction and definitely the tone of the book, it's like, it's rooted in realism. So, you know, like there are depictions of slavery and like events that are like true to real life, but there are some like fabulous touches to it. Um, mm. Like the, the main one being that the underground train is like real and there are like real, like kind of station agents, like who work and man the trains. Oh, so it's um, a literal so, railroad. Mm-hmm, yeah. So it is like a little bit does have like moments of sci-fi and horror and in the series the series takes that even further which i'm not sure how i feel about and i feel like that's some of the weaker points um mm. the barry jenkins gets to play around with like with genre tropes i guess in a way right that's interesting do you feel like it fits with his uh previous work with moonlight and beale street i think it does at least the back half um other than like the few episodes where he's definitely trying on different tones. And one of them even has like a Salem witch trial horror, like gothic horror vibe to it. Hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, I think he does a lot of what he usually does. And it's in um, portraying like black love and tenderness, you know, and resilience. Yeah. It's, it's- Are you a fan of Jenkins? Actually, I'm a little bit on the fence about him. Um, there's a lot of stuff that I like in his movies, but also a lot of stuff that I'm a little bit um, unconvinced, I would say. Um, it's been a while since I've seen Moonlight, but I know that the other one, Beale Street, I thought it was pretty beautiful, but also I was a little overwhelmed by it. It felt like every scene mm-hmm. to me was like the most important scene in the movie. So by the end, <laughs> I was a little bit like, oh, I don't know, you know? Yeah, I, I definitely felt that way, too. I'm like, this is beautiful, but if it's like that the whole time, you know, it's kind of harder to take in, or maybe that kind of mellows out all the feeling through mm. throughout, kind of makes you immune to it. Um, yeah. Yeah, you should watch this. I'm curious as to what you'll think. I guess my main thing while watching it was always the debate of, like, is this movie, is this, like, cinematic, or is it or is it TV? Like, is there a line? Like, Right. Uh, and I don't know what my conclusion is. <laughs> like, there are definitely some moments where I just felt like, like coverage and, you know, like they just wanted to move this plot point a- a- across mm-hmm. and like the camera just was there. But um, other moments were cinematic. So. Yeah, well, 10 episodes, you know, you got to move fast. Otherwise, you won't, <laughs> you won't be able to um, get the order in time. Nope. Um are there any, since you are, you know, movie pudding and uh, the mm-hmm. intersection of movies and food, are there any, like, cool food moments in Underground Railroad? Or um, if not, maybe in something else you've been watching lately? Yeah, that one actually there isn't. Um, as far as movies, so before I watched the series, I was trying to catch up on the Oscar movies as much as I could, mm-hmm. you know, despite the Oscars, eh, you know, like maybe not being exactly the most important thing. Um, and I watched, did you see The Sound of Metal? I haven't actually. It's one of the okay, ones I so haven't seen. I, I quite liked that one until like maybe the second half. Okay. It's definitely worth watching. Um, 
there's a, like a very small food moment in there where Rizamed he has like a donut and coffee every morning, but and it's it's I don't know. At one point, he smashes the donut out of anger, and the reason like he has this in the first place is he's trying to build this ritual of trying to um, trying to sit in stillness, mm. and it's a really poignant moment of the movie, and just. There's like great like kind of interior shots of just or like tablescapes really where you see like these objects on the table and him just sitting still trying to sit with them. Very mu- very small, but it stood out in my mind. I assume that now you pay extra attention to any time anytime a piece of food comes out in a movie. I feel like you probably go like, "Whoops! Let me let me pay attention. <laughs> let me write this down and remember." Um, yes and no. I feel like sometimes. I like try to make more meat. Like there's always a danger of trying to make more meaning than there is. Mm, mm-hmm. um, right. Or like I thought about what if I just focused solely on food moments, but I found that hard to do. I don't know. Do you pay attention much when you see food on, on film on screen? Well, when it looks delicious or when it looks gross, right. <laughs> That's when you, when you really yeah. pay attention. Um, but yeah, but because, right. Because the thing with movie pudding is that I think, um, it's not always about the food moments in the movies, but more about like uh, focusing both on movies and food, I feel some of the time. And that's why mm-hmm. I appreciate because it's just such a, especially before the pandemic. It, for me, it was such a thing of like, you know, let's go see a movie and then we'll like get something to eat and like what would go mm-hmm. well with this. Um, speaking of Oscars, I used to, you know, before the whole COVID thing, sometimes I hosted Oscar parties and I tried to make something that like went along with some movies so like um oh boy now i can't even remember anything of what i did in the past on the spot it's hard to even remember the past oscar movies so (laughs) right but i I was wondering that like if i had done a party like what would have cooked and i don't know like obviously it wouldn't have brought like shit in a bucket or something (laughs) (laughs) that's that's really cool that you did that. And <laughs> when it's non-COVID times, I would love to come and help you out. Um, and we can like brainstorm and come up with a menu. Probably. Yeah, I feel like there are some things that they could be like literal. Like you could have like the donuts if they're there. Right. Um, this movie, Pieces of a Woman. Uh-huh. Did you see that no. one? Well, that one, like apples figure heavily apples. into that. So like you could have something with that. But like other movies, like... Yeah. As with my newsletter, you saw I try to kind of make it thematic, so it doesn't have to literally be this food is there, this is that. Maybe, like, the tone of movie is a certain way, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then, you know, this kind of food, like, it's the vibe. So I try to make it, I don't know, a bit eccentric in that sense. Yeah. But as far as I don't know how, what like, how I actually, I don't know if there's hits, there's definitely hits and misses in there, so. <laughs> yeah, totally. But it is really... I mean, I don't know. It's kind of weird that um, food works so well on screen, right? Because you can't eat it. But I feel like whenever, you know, we've talked about Tampopo in Criterion Project and then like something like, I don't know, Big Night or Ratatouille or those mm-hmm. movies, you see the food and they're like, oh, this looks delicious and it's so fun. And even cooking shows, you know, like Top Chef and like all of that stuff. That. It all works. But why? We can't taste it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? that said do you um feel the same way when there's like excuse me um a food scene and it's not necessarily to stoke your appetite like in tempo and big night obviously like you know there's trying they're trying to show you how delicious it is i guess i'm even trying to think of like are there moments where that are beyond either trying to show you how great it is how tasty it is or how fucking gross it is like what about all the stuff all the stuff in the in middle between? well yeah i mean hong sang su he there's a lot of movie uh, food in his movies and a lot of the time they're just like sitting there you know because he picks up the conversation after people have eaten but i don't know maybe i'm just a, a food person i always like notice what's on the plate and i'm like mm, that looks good i wish i was <laughs> eating that you know yeah that's a good point um maybe that's a good segue into hong's movies but like he i I would say like yeah like half of like the screen time is always like or the setting is always in a restaurant Mm -hmm. or like at someone's house 
and they're eating and drinking, which is also like extremely essential to his, to his cinema. Um, I, I'm wondering like your perspective seeing that, but like, so like in Korean culture, like drinking and eating kind of like go hand in hand and drinking is like very big in Korea where like, I like to point where like the alcohol, like, I mean like statistically, like they drink a lot and like alcohol sales are like really high there. Um, so that's another aspect in which it's like very Korean, which like, I don't know if other mm. people notice and they just think like, Oh, like these people are just alcoholics, which like <laughs> maybe yes, maybe no, but like it's definitely rooted in the culture. culture. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know. I'm a big drinker, but, um, um, I know that some other people aren't. So, um, Maybe I should like go to Korea and just hang out to drink a lot and eat a bunch of food. <laughs> um, sounds like maybe I would fit in. I don't know. What's your drink of choice? I really love beer. Um, so that's simple, but you know, it's always available most places that you go. Um, how about you? Are you a drink? Are you a big drinker? Yes and no. I feel like these days, not so much. Mm. Um, but. I it's it's funny because I don't like Korean alcohols as much okay. and like the main thing that they're drinking in a lot of his movies is soju right. have you ever have you ever had yes, it yes I've had it actually when you know the whole parasite year I we served a lot of soju at our Oscar party okay perfect that makes sense yeah um I don't I don't like it I mean it's kind of like like cheap vodka and even <laughs> some of them are like some sojus like the cheaper ones are actually made with potato starches so kind of like it kind of is vodka um but it's meant to be drinking food like it's meant to be paired um with korean food and like dr- drunk in the company of other people oh, so mm-hmm. that's kind of perfect that you did that oh great um and short plug for something else but i recently wrote an article about makgeolli which is a korean rice drink mm-hmm. um which they do drink occasionally in Hong's movies too, I guess, like depending on, on the food, because you're supposed to pair certain drinks with certain foods. Um, but I'm a, I'm a big fan of that. Yeah, I was just, I wanted to bring that up just now and I and I couldn't remember the name of the alcohol. So It's a hard name. What was it again? It's called Makoli. Makoli. And you wrote the article because they're making it here in New York, right? That's right. Yeah, it's the first Makoli producer in in. In Brooklyn, and um, they're the only American producer of the drink now at the moment. Wow! And what can? How would you? How would you drink it? Like since you since you like it, like I'm really interested. After reading the article, I was like, oh, I really want to try this. And how do you recommend for my? What do you recommend for my first experience? I mean, I I recommended it to my friend, and he didn't even realize that like the thought of like drinking it with food didn't occur to him oh. so like if you have like something fermented and spicy um, it would go really well with that um, okay kind of like complement the spiciness because it has this kind of like body to it like the silky i want to say almost milky feel but it's not like it definitely doesn't taste dairy like um it has a light effervescence it's like a little fizzy fermented and spicy okay um so I, I have I do a lot of pickling of jalapenos in my fridge. Do you think that might go well? Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. I'll I'll write back to you with my review. I guess. Cool. Sounds good. 